Thank you for joining us for this podcast of the Family Fellowship of Greenville, located in Greenville, Texas. If you'd like more information about our church, please log on to www.familyfellowship.us or email us at info at familyfellowship.us. Now here's lead pastor, Paul Blue. We didn't talk. Steve and I didn't talk. Are you okay in that chair? Is that your better side? Uh, I don't think I like that side better, but I'm okay here. Okay, well, once you kind of get in these chairs, you really don't want to get out again. That's why we didn't put them in here. Because uh, we want you to get out after church so we can go home. I uh, want to thank you for being here this morning. And uh, today will be a little bit different than uh, what we normally do because one of the things that I think sometimes people um, wrongly assume is that because I am the pastor, I do everything and know everything. Uh, I promise you, nothing could be further from the truth in this church. Um, the the staff that God has brought us here um, to to serve you, to serve our community, to serve the world, um, is second to none, and they are so good at what they do. Um, several years ago, I I put Steve over our missions. Um, because I knew that that's something, I mean, I have a heart for missions and, and always have, but so does Steve. And there are things that as our church grows that I, I take off of my plate and put on somebody else's. And so Steve does, does our missions, so he leads a lot of trips, he does a lot of travel. And um, I've said this before, and the other guys, you know, are going to get their feelings hurt today, but it's because they're not on the platform with me, right? So That's right. Uh, so I'm only going to brag on Steve. Uh, Steve has one of the one of the sharpest mission minds I've ever known, and um, the way he thinks about missions, the way he processes missions, the way he sees through missions problems uh, is just phenomenal. And so we're we're blessed to have him. And so actually, what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of MC this morning and let Steve tell you kind of what's going on in the world. But uh, before I do that, kind of what we're doing today is is we just want to help you understand how we do missions. We want you to, to be able to see what it is that we're doing um, in, in different places throughout the world. Um, so we'll, we're going to talk g- generally about our overall missions, and then we're going to highlight two areas that uh, we're heavily involved in that have, you know, we have some strategic uh, partnerships there. And... Uh, shared with you over the last few weeks what's called the Great Commission. It's found in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, where the Bible says that we are to go and make disciples of all the nations. And the, and the word nations there, your New Testament was written in the Greek language. It's the Greek word ethnos, which means ethnic group or people groups, which we've been talking about. So our task as followers of Christ is to go to every people group in the world and take the gospel to them. Now, I shared with you some numbers last week that uh, there are 16,825 people groups in the world, and 6,989 of them are still unreached, which is 41.5%. 3.15 billion people in the world do not have access to the gospel. And so we are tasked with that. The Great Commission is called what it is because it is a commission that's given to us, but but the word commission is, is a funny word because it is a co mission. And we talked about that a little bit last week. I'm going to read you the verses I shared with you last week in Romans chapter 10. 
uh, where the Bible says in verse 13, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on Him to save them unless they believe in Him? How can they believe in Him if they've never heard about Him? How can they hear about Him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? And that's what missions is. It is a co-mission where we have some, what we call missionaries, that actually go to these people groups and take the message of Jesus to them. And then there are the senders. And that's what we are. And so um, this morning... uh, before we jump into, actually, into your bulletin, so if you have that, I want you to pull it out because I'm going to make reference to it in just a moment. But I just want to remind you again, last week I shared with you that 4,000 churches in the United States, the United States has been the sending nation for missions primarily um, for the last 100, 150 years. Um, and in the United States, 4,000 churches close each year. Another 1,500 start, but not all of them last. So we have basically a net loss every year in the United States of 3,000 churches. I also shared with you that of the churches that exist, 80% are either stagnant or in decline. What that means is, in relation to missions, is these churches either have a weakened heart for missions or they have no heart at all. That means... Somebody somewhere has to be willing to stay committed. And even more than being committed, being willing to maybe take on uh, the challenge in some areas where some others are are falling off. So uh, in your bulletin this morning, um, on the back, we no- normally have the missions notes, is our missions family. And we're not going to call every name off there, but uh, these are the people for you. We, we left this for you. This is something that you can take home. Put on your fridge, your your bathroom mirror, or whatever, and uh, give you these names that you, that'll give you these missionaries that you can pray for uh, daily and weekly uh, and monthly. And um, it's got the comp, uh, country out next to them. Some of them are um, church planters in America. Uh, you see, the very first one is, and they're actually uh, we left one off. We've got a. Uh, church planter Branton Stacy Leach in in uh, Windermere, Florida, is a new church plant that we support as well. And uh, actually, S- Steve told me that we have some some special viewers this morning. Um, many of our uh, friends, missionaries, church planters, church members uh, in the Philippines are watching the service this morning because they knew that we were going to be talking about this, and so. Uh, so we have guests from them. Dwayne Wright was one of the first responders this morning to what we were talking about. He's our missionary in, in uh, Ethiopia. And uh, so uh, we'll have some guests uh, joining us this morning uh, through our, our webcast. So um, I think one of the biggest questions that we get is how do we choose our missionaries? Because there are missionaries everywhere that would love to to you know partner with as many churches as possible. Um, so, Steve, why don't you tell church just a little bit about how do we go about the process of choosing our missionaries? Okay. If if you're not aware, most missionaries, probably 95 percent of missionaries, have to go out and raise money. And the way you do that is you just cold call contact churches. That's just the way it works. Now, imagine if you had to spend your life being rejected 90 percent of the time. 
because 90% of the, con- of the calls, the contacts that they make, they never get a response from. So it would be very discouraging. And so generally speaking, what happens is uh, a missionary is going to be in our area, or maybe they're going to be in our area maybe in the next uh, few months. They'll uh, usually call. I, I prefer to take a phone call, but sometimes email. And they will uh, ask if they might could uh, stop in and have a conversation with us. Usually they want to, the, generally they want to present. They ask, can I come and share my ministry with your church? Okay. And a church would have them in on a Sunday morning. We obviously, as you know, because you see Paul up here on Sunday mornings, or myself or Danny, every now and then a preacher. But, uh, so we don't do that. What we do is I ask them, I say, hey, when you're in the area, uh, we do it a little bit different than almost anybody else. It starts with just a meal. And I'll tell them, if you're in the area, I'd love to take you to breakfast, lunch, dinner. Uh, if you've noticed our building over here on the backside of the parking lot, that's a missions house that we opened up in January. If they're in the area, they don't have a place to stay. We like to uh, be a blessing to the missionaries, and so we'll put them up in there for a night or two. And they come in, and we go to eat. And I'm looking really for three things that are very important to us. First of all, our church will only partner with missionaries who are church-planning missionaries. Okay? Now, there's nothing wrong with the other stuff, and a lot of our missionaries do other things. But we were tasked to share the gospel with the world, right? Not provide clean water. Nothing wrong with clean water. But clean water is not going to get somebody to heaven, correct? Correct. Jesus is the way to heaven, right? So we want to know that they're going to go to whatever country they're, go- they're going to and that they're going to plant churches. Christ-centered, Bible-believing churches. The same thing we do here. We also want to know, do they fit us? <laughs> Which means, quite honestly, do they fit Paul and me? Could we hang out with them? Would they attend our church? Uh, is it something that there would be a camaraderie between us and them? Uh, and so we look for that. We also want to know where their field of service is. Every field in the world, every country in the world is important, and Christ died for all of them. We are choosing to focus, though, in more strategic areas where the gospel is less presented, right, or less has less access or where that country might have access to other countries where the gospel is uh, not very present. And so we really look for those three things. The final thing that I've really started asking people in the last two years is this. What's their accountability? Who are they accountable to? I'm accountable to Paul, right? Every, every week I fill out a staff report for Paul. We want to know that our missionaries have an accountability with somebody that they are accountable. If they don't have that, most often I get this look. And so I probably meet with more missionaries, and this is not anything for us, for me. It says nothing about me. A lot of it is where we're located, right on I-30, correct? And we're close to the Metroplex. This is Missions Mecca. This part of Texas is Missions Mecca. Every missionary, when they're on their furlough or deputation, Deputation being the fundraising process, time furlough when they're home for a time of rest. Every missionary will spend months right in this area. But because of that, I probably meet with more missionaries than anybody in the country, quite honestly. Uh, And so quite often, uh, I am challenging young missionaries to do things that they've never perhaps thought of. And one of those would be establishing accountability 
with a home-sending church or a group of churches here in the United States. Uh, we never establish a partnership off of one meal that usually takes three or four because I like to eat, right? <laughs> but really, <clears throat> really, because it gives me a chance to know really who they are. Is what they're telling me the fourth time the same thing they told me the first time? Gives them a chance to get out and get their legs a little bit too. We're always a blessing so that you know if you give to missions, every missionary that comes through here, because we want to be an encouragement to every missionary. Every missionary. So every missionary that comes through, I'll usually give them a gift card to wherever we go to eat. When he says every missionary, excuse me, that doesn't mean every missionary that we already support. No. Just any missionary, regardless. Every missionary. If they come through, I believe your heart is you love missionaries. As a church, I believe we love missionaries. So my job is to represent you and your heart for missions. And so I want to be a blessing to every missionary. Why? Because it's discouraging out there on the road. Terribly discouraging. And they get beat up and they get beat around and they get their teeth kicked in every single day. So if I take them to Chili's, they're going to walk away with usually a $100 gift card to Chili's. And you would not believe how many thank you cards I have it's usually to me, but I always let them know this is from you, right? Because we love missionaries. That's the process. The way that we kind of um, phrase it is we're looking for the, the right people going to the right places with the right strategy. And then Steve has, has uh, uh, you know, really challenged them to have some accountability. Um, you say, okay, I, I told Steve that what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to think of what questions that might be going through your mind. Uh, as he talks. And so I think one of the things that might be going through some of your minds when Steve said, well, we're looking for people that we would get along with. That may have struck some of you kind of funny. Um, Why wouldn't we consider a missionary that is, you know, a little different than us? Well, because quite honestly, when when we're looking for someone that we would get along with, what we're saying is, is uh, we're looking for someone that you guys would hang out with. Because if you don't identify with them, if you don't feel like you know them, if you don't feel like there's someone you would hang out with or go have a meal with or enjoy being in your connection group, you will not pray for them. Uh, and so we want there to be relationship. And that's why when we, when our missionaries are home in the States on furlough, we have them here, we have them speak, and then we try to get them in the connection groups and in, in the week and in the, on Sunday morning as well so that people can have an opportunity. We ask them to stay for for more than just a day or two, we like for them to stay at least a week. Um, and so that's one thing. Then also just on the missions house, again, we don't ever charge anybody to stay in that. That Our, our missionaries stay in that for free. What happens often is is when a missionary goes to to um, present their ministry <clears throat> excuse me, at churches, what that means is, is they can present on Sunday. Maybe they might find a place on Wednesday. And so when a church has them come in on Sunday, they will pay for their hotel for Saturday night, and then they present on Sunday, and then they're on the road again. And what that means is is out of their pocket, they have to pay hotel for Monday through the next Saturday. And it gets it gets expensive. So um, Yeah, and usually what, what I'll do is if if you know they're gonna be staying with us, I'll also ask them uh, by email if they have some snacks, food, uh, stuff they like to drink. And when they pull in to the missions house, there's already some food uh, in the missions house for them. There's some refreshments for them. 
uh, some, you know, maybe their favorite soda juice, whatever. And uh, it's just, uh, I put a little book in there, a little diary uh, for our missionaries or any missionary that stays with us. Uh, funny, the, <clears throat> most of the missionaries that have stayed with us this year are not missionaries that we partner with. Uh, most of our missionaries are currently on the field serving right now. And so you, you, if you could read the notes uh, that are in there, uh, it would be heart-touching to some of you just the, the level of encouragement it, that you have been to them uh, through our missions house. And, you know, uh, uh, I, just, one family said they wanted two pizzas. And so I, I put two DiGiorno pizzas in there. And, uh, wow, I mean, that was a big deal. <laughs> and so they, that really was a blessing to them. So that's what we try to do as a church uh, to be a blessing to them. So we're going to highlight um, two strategic areas um, for you this morning, uh, the Philippines and uh, India. And so uh, Steve's going to kind of walk you through uh, why why they're strategic. Um, and he's going to show you some pictures as well of some, some things that we're doing that are involved there. So go ahead. Okay, so we're going to look first at the Philippines this morning. And uh, we... Uh, one of the things that Paul and I want to do this morning was just kind of show you how the missions process works, not just on this side, but in, on, on the foreign you know, field. Uh, what are our missionaries doing? What does that look like? We recently got back from the Philippines. And we can go ahead and bring up that first picture. And uh, recently got back from the Philippines with a group of six people. And um, you can see here uh, is our, our uh, group that, uh, not our group, but uh, a picture of camp. One of the things that our church did years ago when we first got involved with the Philippines is we started giving to a camp. Uh, over in the Philippines, uh, the ministry is headed up by a gentleman by the name of Greg Lyons. And Greg and them started a camp ministry years ago. And the, their camp ministry endeavors to bring over 100,000 teens to camp every single year. Now, the Philippines is very strategic for us as a church because as Paul shared last week, the Philippines is generally considered reached with the gospel, even though there are millions of people there who still need Jesus. But what the Philippines has access to being in Southeast Asia, the Philippines has access to many countries, Cambodia, Thailand, Laos, we could go on and on, where the gospel is almost non-existent now. And so part of their strategy that... that clicked with us right away is they started these camps. They bring teens, young people to camp. They win them to Christ. Let's show the next picture. Here we see uh, a camp uh, service where uh, they present the gospel. Then they ask if you want to receive Jesus as your Savior. They ask them to come forward for an altar call. Show the next picture. There is uh, one of the young women that uh, Deidre and I are very involved with personally. Uh, I speak to her, the woman with the white card. Her name's Ira. I speak with Ira probably four or five times uh, a day. Facebook is awesome. Some of you wonder why I've changed my name on Facebook. It's because anytime I go on a missions trip, I'm going to get about a thousand friend requests from a foreign country, and I can't read most of what they put, so I just don't want them on there. But uh, Ira's one that I contact with, that I stay in contact with often. There she is leading some young women to Christ. From there, uh, what we try to do then is we can go to the next picture. Uh, one of the things that they also have in the Philippines that they started a few years ago is a college. It's called Baptist Bible College Asia. And what we try to do is once we take, bring these kids to camp, 
We share Jesus with them. Then, if they're of college age, we want to get them into college. Now, listen, ultimately our goal is, and this is a process here. So you see we're trying to move young people along. But if you want a job, if you want to work inside in McDonald's or at Starbucks, not manage, if you want to work inside behind the counter at McDonald's in the Philippines, you have to have a college education, an accredited college application. I've seen the job applications. So we want to share Jesus with them, but we also want to improve their life, right? It's very important. So we sign up many, many, many of these young people that receive Christ, then also go on to go to college. This degree, by the way, is accepted by any college here in the United States. So they can also go abroad and work. Now, this is very important for our strategy because now we've led somebody to Christ. We've given them a great education. So as a church, we're also helping improve their quality of life, right? Because education is important. We have a lot of school teachers here this morning. But we're also now equipping them with the ability to go abroad and work and share Jesus. Number one export in the Philippines is labor. Labor. And so they have access and ability from, from the Philippines to go to any nation in Central Asia that, uh, quite honestly, a, a white face can't, many of those countries a white face can't even go to. And uh, they are, um, of course, if they're watching, they're going to love this part because I'm going to brag on them. They are masters at learning language. Um, and where, you know, we, we struggle, man, they can go and pick up a new language just like that. And uh, so th- that's the very strategic part of it. Just f- so you'll have a little bit of scope here. Uh, Baptist Bible College Asia. Um, generally, I mean, it, it, it'll fluctuate between between 700 and 1,000 students. So this isn't just some little institute. Uh, it meets all over Manila in, in multiple locations. Um, and uh, they're doing a great job. Yeah, they're moving in abroad now. We recently bought, bought a Buddhist temple. <laughs> And turned it into a Bible college. Uh, no lie. In uh, Laos or Thailand, one of those places. Uh, and so if you give to missions, right, if you, wanted to, if you choose to be a part of missions in the future, we give to all of these things. We help support all of these things, right? They also, there are Filipinos because, as Paul said, uh, labor is their chief export. There are, there are Filipinos in uh, the Middle East, Saudi Arabia, running Bible studies today. Pakistan. Paul, I know a pastor from Pakistan. They do these camps, these mobile camps, 98%. I asked this, uh, Anis is his name. I asked him one time. I was there in the Philippines with him. He's a pastor in Pakistan. They do these same camps in Pakistan. And I asked him, I said, Anis, uh, if I were with you in, in Pakistan, we're told that they hate Americans. If I were with you on the streets of Pakistan, any, any street, what, what would the average Pakistani's response be? And he said, brother, I wouldn't walk with you on the streets of Pakistan <laughs> because they're going to kill you. And me. Folks, these are, these are people who are going to countries that we can no longer go to effectively because Jesus is more important than death. And when Paul said last week, and when I said in my greeting last week or the week before, that what missions is is the opportunity to be a part of something bigger than your life. It's bigger than jet skis or vacations or 
or side-by-sides, any of that stuff. Nothing wrong with any of those things. Paul's made that clear. But this is a part of an opportunity to share Jesus. So here is uh, a graduating class with our missionaries Trevor and Christy from our church sitting right there at the front uh, with big smiles. Trevor's bald head. Hi, Trevor. Trevor is watching right now, I know for a fact. And uh, so there they are. Trevor and Christy, uh, I'm not afraid to say this, are also our best missionaries, and I love all of our missionaries, Dwayne and so many others, but you guys would be so proud of what they are doing uh, to share the gospel around the world. So here's the graduating class. That class right there, many of those went on uh, now are in the workforce with educations, sharing the gospel, right, and their jobs. But some of those are already serving in foreign countries now. As our ambassadors, your ambassador, with the gospel. Let's go to the next picture. This is Joanna Sumalong. Joanna is a young woman who went to camp, accepted Christ, was discipled by a group of people there in Manila at the Antipolo Church, which you'll see here in a little bit. Uh, I've grown close with Joanna. I stay in close contact with her also through Facebook. Joanna gave her life to be a missionary. So now she's serving full-time in Cambodia. Uh, If you're a part of missions here, you supported her for her whole first year. Our church uh, gave money to help her serve her first year on on the foreign field. Uh, She finished her first year and is back for a second year. And we gave several hundred dollars to make sure she could get back a second time. And all of this is just me acting on your behalf. Right? Because you love missionaries and missions, right? Because as church, we believe, you know what? You could have have gotten up this morning and driven in any direction 20 miles and stopped at probably 30 different places and heard about Jesus. She's in a country where you could drive 100 miles and not find anybody who could even tell you who Jesus is. Why should you have the opportunity to hear it one more time until the people she ministers to have the opportunity to hear it once? That's the way I feel about it. You shouldn't. So let's just give a little money. (laughs) Pray a little bit. Yes. No, let's go through real quick. Let's go through Joanna, Pastor Joanna. So there's somebody we are ministering with here. We encourage our missionaries to form international partnerships right away. We don't want our missionaries pastoring churches. We want them coming alongside and assisting in churches, assisting in ministry. We want nationals pastoring the churches, right, so that it looks like the country, the people. This is Pastor Jay, good, good friend of mine. And so here's Life Point Church. Our church family fellowship prayed to help, uh, paid and gave to help have the church remodeled. That's Pastor Jay. Let's move through this. There's Trevor uh, pastoring in the language there, preaching one Sunday. Let's go ahead and go through the next one. There's Jay and his wife, Alan. Move on. There is uh, Kids Jam. They go out every week and share mobile children's churches like we do. And so that is the picture of the Philippines ministry 
in a nutshell. There's a few more pictures there, but that's it in a nutshell. You kind of get an idea of how ministry works, what the focus is. It gives you a picture of what we do other places as well. Take, um, take one minute and talk about uh, Bontayan and what we're building there. Yes, let's move forward a little bit. So Bontayan is more, more frequently, there's a mountain ministry. Let's go ahead and move forward. Uh, Bontayan is a, an island that was ravaged by a typhoon about three years ago. And God has moved Trevor's heart, really, not away from Manila, Metro Manila, but out onto the island, and we'll stop right there on that slide, out onto the island of Bontayan. And uh, Bontayan, there are over 7,000 islands in the Philippine chains, uh, chain of islands, right? Most of them have no churches, thousands and thousands. And so we went out to Bontayan, and that is the base, and we are building a pastor training center out there. It'll be complete. Paul will be there to dedicate it in March. We will use that as the launching point to train these young people that have come and received Christ at camp, been discipled by LifePoint there in Manila. As they surrender to be missionaries and pastors and pastors, they'll come out to Bontayan and we'll train them out on the island. And then we'll send them out to these smaller islands. And when I mean smaller islands, some of them not as big as this auditorium. I've been on them. We'll send them out to plant churches like this church right here. That's our group. We were there just about a month and a half ago on this little island where this church had been planted. And they go out there on Sundays and they run a Bible study and share the gospel with these people who had never heard the name of Jesus presented in a way where he was the only way to get to heaven. After the typhoon came through on most of these islands, the first people to come through was the Islamic faith. And I was on the island, and every house on multiple islands was given a cistern, a clean water cistern, with uh, strings attached for the Islamic faith. And it was very important for us to get back to these islands quickly. It became rooted. And so now we are on 10 islands with more to come where we will be sharing the gospel weekly. Filipinos will be sharing the gospel weekly, going out by boat, sharing Bible studies, raising up young pastors, and training them on the island of Bontayan. The pastor training center, it's getting close. I've got, got new pictures yesterday. Didn't have time to get them in, but it's going to be beautiful. It's something you guys are going to be proud of. We've made that project with a couple other churches happen, and I hope some of you will go with me next May to see it. It's going to be awesome. Um, so the Philippines is strategic for us. Uh, because of how it allows us to get into the rest of Asia, um, even though it is only 15% unreached. On the other hand, India is 98% unreached, and so we, we're in, invested there as well. So tell us about India. Let's go ahead and transition to India. <clears throat> Our partners in India are Matthew and Krista. Matthew. I didn't say his name twice. That's his last name also. Uh, Matthew and Krista Matthew. Alec and, Bar- and Bandana Barua, and you can see it there in your notes, and Winston and Ruth Ann Kumar. But we've been partners with uh, Matthew and Krista for a long time. Krista went over there with uh, the uh, belief that God was going to use her as a single woman and met Matthew several years into her ministry with uh, uh, lepers in a leper colony. And they were married uh, in really an arranged Indian marriage. And um, they began the process of planting churches. 
Now, I've been to India seven or eight times now. There's no country like India in the world, uh, guarantee. And I've been to a lot of countries. It is mind-blowing. Uh, the mass of humanity, uh, the need for the gospel, the darkness. Indians, through the Vedic religions, have basically been worshiping Satan for 5,000 years. Donnie Barker and some of the rest of us went into a, an Indian temple on high mass, high, high sacrifice day. And Donnie and I into a more inner part as they were sacrificing goats uh, by the thousands. Um, and it is a bloody, smelly, stinky, satanic mess. And the need for the gospel is beyond measure. But because the darkness, this, the, the, uh, such darkness is there, it's also become one of the, and this is a huge issue here in the States, uh, if you have a heart for trafficked women, then why you're not already involved in missions with, with family fellowship, I don't know. Why, honestly? Because one of the main ministries that they just have picked up, because it is such a need there, is the trafficked women, uh, women and the sex industry there in northeast India. So that's Matthew and Krista. The process works much the same there. We can move the slides forward. That's Alok and Bandana. Alok is a converted uh, Buddhist priest. They're, the bulk of their ministry goes on in Nepal, as Paul shared last week, which is one of the most unreached countries in the world. It borders India. I've done some uh, pastor training with Alok up in the tea fields of Darjeeling, at the base of the Himalayas. I uh, woke up every morning, and you could see Mount Everest. Uh, and it's very hard to breathe because you're about 8,500 feet. Uh, but that's Alec Mandana. We can move forward. There's a group of church planners. As we said, we want our missionaries to be church planners. That means they have to partner with Indian pastors. So these are young men that we had brought in for a time of pastor training and young women who had surrendered their life to, to plant churches. Now, some of you are probably asking, well, how, how do these people make money? And we'll get to that in just a second. But these are young men and young women that we met, and you can see me there on the back row where we did uh, some extensive pastor training for them in our time there. We uh, also gifted them as a church uh, some very needed gifts, some very nice backpacks, some Bibles, and some resource books in their language, their trade language, which in this case would be Bengali, and uh, also were a financial blessing to them. Now, a financial blessing to them would be 4 or $5 U.S., was a, was a big deal. But these are pastors then that go out. India is one of those countries that's very physically dangerous to share the gospel. Uh, we've been involved with India for uh, about 15 years now, I suppose. And to my knowledge, I think we've had at least five or six of our Indian partners killed for sharing the gospel, murdered. Um, when we're there, uh, we're very conscious. Uh, some of you were on a trip with me about seven years ago, and you can share, uh, we could share how uh, dangerous it was on that particular trip. This is some of our church planners. We can move forward. Steve? Yes. We're down to three. Down? Three minutes? Three minutes. We got it. So here's a income-generating project that we have that we've shared. We need to less sing is what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> income-generating project that we left with them a year and a half ago. Uh, where we are, uh, these are 3D printers that we're training some of the pastors in to use to raise income. We can move forward. Here is a church plant that you helped plant with a, uh, a service that you can see me and Donnie, a few others there. 
that we met with and spoke for hours. Because when they come to church, they want to stay for a long time, like five hours. So I spoke five hours that day, and that's no lie. They were literally sitting up front fanning me. Uh, And uh, we trained the pastor of that. We can move forward. Here is some of the converts being baptized in most foreign fields. Uh, It's not receiving Christ is is the break from your old life. Baptism is the break. Because it's the public profession that you're going to take a new way. Baptism doesn't get you to heaven. But there, it's the, it's, it's the saying, hey, this is what I'm going to do. So here's baptism. Next, uh, we have, this is the red light district where we have ministry. In this particular area, there are 1,000 women just in this area. In this town, there are 10,000 trafficked women who are being habituated to the process. And, and then they'll be sent out around Southeast Asia and Eastern Europe to work in the trafficked industry. These are children of those women that we go down to weekly and minister and share Jesus and, quite honestly, love with. Very violent area, a lot of organized crime, very, very dangerous area. Not so for us, but for the children to grow up in. Next, these are some of the children in Bible stories that David Burton and Shiloh had shared that day. They colored pictures there. Next. Krista called me one day from the field and said, hey, we've got a problem. I said, what's the problem? She said, these are all prostitutes. These are all women who were sold into slavery, not of their own accord. Now, some of you are saying, why don't you just leave? That's easy for you to say. But we've led them to Christ. They're still active in the trade, but they want a church. What do we do? And I said, we give them a church. So this is the first prostitute church in the world. And that was uh, me and a few others that went to church with him that that evening and uh, had a great time of worship with him. And uh, it was quite humbling and heartbreaking uh, to see, but to know that we at least had given them the hope of Jesus. Most of these women will die of AIDS. We also run an AIDS kitchen. We feed them. I've eaten in the AIDS kitchen multiple times. That's a faith-building activity. Uh, because there you can practice the trade until you are full-blown. So you're spreading it as fast as... Um, but uh, they need Jesus, right? So we can move forward. Here is the people that we work with. And just tell me when i got to stop, Paul. Here's the people that we work with. Uh, the people, the couple there in the foreground, uh, they run the NGO there. It's a non-governmental organization that allows us to be in this area. We have to have permission to be in this area, but they are also the largest traffickers. <laughs> so we are literally in bed with the devil to defeat the devil. But we had to have their permission to be here. So this is what we do. This is the group we work with. It's a filthy area, as you can see. That's the cleanest part of the entire area move forward. And uh, out of this, of course, came the need, and I'm glad Paul's allowing me to, to get to this point in the presentation, because what really sprang out of this is not just the need for churches, and thank God we have planted thousands of churches in India. You have planted thousands of churches as partners. But of course, what the need is, is as these moms are, are dying of AIDS, we're creating orphans. And even before that, these moms are wanting us to take their children. They're just saying, come in, please, take take my baby. So we've started a children's home. 
a small one. It's going to stay small. But we are helping some of the kids escape this life and move on to something better, giving them hope. You are giving them hope if you're a part of missions. And uh, this is just one of those little, it's dark because that's the best we could do. Uh, not a lot of electricity and lights in India, but uh, it's the best we could do. And uh, they're dolls. Uh, you'd love them. We are also helping some of the women get out by uh, giving them other trades. They have to buy their freedom, which is usually about $3,500 U.S. That's more than they're going to make in their entire lifetime. So they need help. So we're helping some of them by providing them with access to other jobs, which usually means selling jewelry on the street, selling coffee, medicine, things like that. Finish. Hello. And um, gives you an idea about what we are doing, what our missionaries are doing, and what you are actually a part of if you're part of missions here at FFG. And so we just highlighted two areas. Um, we're involved in, you look on the bulletin, you can see all the countries that we're involved in. And um, the world needs Jesus and they need hope. Um, and we've got, honestly, in America, we've got more Jesus than we know what to do with. As a matter of fact, some people are so sick of Jesus, they're just washing their hands of him. Um, and, you know, we've been we've been trying to communicate to you about what it means to to live fully. Um, and, and part of that is to not always be putting self first, but, but putting others first. And especially when it comes to the gospel, Paul said this, that I would love to be all of our prayer. He said this in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. He said, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Now, Paul didn't say that his life was worthless. He said it was worthless to him because he valued the opportunity to be used by God to take the message of Jesus to others. You know, in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, I'll close with this. Hebrews chapter 11 is, is a list of people that God chose to include by name uh, for their faithfulness. And then in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, th there's seven churches that were listed by name, and, and, and they were given some praises for them and some criticisms of them. Uh, I, of course, don't know for sure exactly what God's going to do. But hypothetically, if God were to write another book, and includes some names of individuals and names of churches to praise. I just wish that we would be in it for our faithfulness. And so uh, I just want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. Um, if you want to be able to say, I've done something with my life that leaves a legacy, something that will outlive me for eternity, get involved in partnering with missions. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes together. Heavenly Father, we love you. We are so grateful 
um, that you have brought into our lives such great partners um, in the different parts of the world. People who are um, people of integrity and character and have a, a heart for lost people and a desire to see churches planted and people saved. I pray, Heavenly Father, that um, you would touch each of our hearts. It is true that most of us will never go to the mission field physically, but we can all send. We can all be a part uh, of all of, the th- all of these things that, that we've displayed today, these things and many more, um, if we'll simply be willing to be involved in missions. Lord, I know that many times um, people have the, the the thought that, well, I've never been called to be involved in missions, and yet, Father, the truth is we don't have to be called to something that you've already commanded us to. And so I pray, Father, that you would help each of us to realize our responsibility uh, out of a heart of gratitude that we know Christ to share Christ with the rest of the world. Lord, we praise you for what you're doing Um, in us and through us and through our partners. Um, May it grow and grow and grow exponentially uh, as we continue to, to desire to serve you faithfully. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.